You've entered a cave filled with spores, molds, and fungus. Victor Frankenstein is sleeping in the courtyard, and his friend Henry Clerval has just arrived. But somewhere out there, the monster is learning French. Oh, hello. Hi. Welcome to Spores, Molds, and Fungus. It's us. It's another episode that you can listen to with your ears. This is a podcast about what we can't stop thinking about, and maybe after listening, you won't be able to either. My name is Chris. And my name is Elizabeth. Today, on this day of days, we're talking about Frankenstein. The novel Frankenstein. By Mary, quote-unquote, Butch Shelley. No. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with that? (laughs) <laughs> Doesn't she seem to be like the alpha in the relationship between her and Percy? Uh, I mean, and Percy? I don't, Percy? I don't know. Percy? I don't know. Percy got away with a lot. Percy got away with a lot. I feel like that's true of all the romantic poets. It really is. But wasn't he like kind of in Byron's shadow? Mm. Where Byron is like kind of large and in charge and he's like, I am my friend, Byron, yeah. I'm Percy. I'm also cool. Yeah, but then he, like, tried to copy Byron, right? Where he was like, oh, Byron's a ladies' man, so I'm going to be one, too, even though I have this nice lady at home. Was he a ladies' man? Percy Shelley? He all the time, yeah. He seems, well, I don't know why, but I have this image of him in my head as very sickly. Well, it's because he died very young, but do you know why he died? I know this, yeah, because yeah. he was afraid of water, and he thought he was no, going to die at this sea. this is the thing. He wasn't even that afraid. I mean, he would go on boats all the fucking time. He just didn't learn how to swim. He was like, I'm going to go on this boat. I thought he was afraid of the water, and then he died in a boat. He and Byron went on long boat trips together all the time. Probably fucked on a boat. (laughs) Guarantee it. And they were always sailing around. And even there was one time where they got caught in these rapids, and Byron almost got like thrown out of the boat. And Percy just was sitting there, and he was like, I'm not going to help you. If you do get thrown out, because I can't swim. and But he never asked Byron to teach him how to swim. He just kind of liked knowing that he couldn't swim. Knowing that he could die at any moment on yeah. a boat. Yeah, and then he did. And they, I read, I remember reading that, like, Byron, they went to the beach, and, like, he they just, he was there, like, in the, in the reeds. He, like, washed up. And they were like, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> that's our that. dude. <laughs> And they like dragged him out and they like burned him or something. Is that or maybe that's maybe that's I, Graham Parsons? That could no, be. that could be. I think that's what happened. It was like I him and, you. there's like a there's like a guy. I haven't read about his death in a little while, so he's I like you. he's like there's like a a third there's a third guy. Wait, did we start the podcast? Yeah, okay. no, this is where there's a third guy that was hanging around with them. Polidori? Maybe he was in the play Buddy Bloody Bloody Poetry. Bloody poetry. Well, Polidori is the guy who wrote, like, the Ridge vampire thing. No. This okay. was, like, a buddy of theirs. This feels like, he feels like the Zeppo <laughs> to Byron, <laughs> Byron and Percy's, like, little thing. Like, okay. like, everyone talks about Byron and Percy. Yes. And sometimes Mary. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Mary. And, but there was this other guy, and, like, he was, he was, like, kind of always there. He was, like, he was, like, you know, their Scotty. On Star Trek, and he was like, "I'm also a character," and I they like know. ran up on the beach, and he was like, <laughs> "Hey, my friend," and I found uh, Percy, and he died, and he well, washed up on this beach. I have next to me this great 
Oh, did I just knock the microphone? It's okay. Mm-mm. I have next to me this great uh, biography called Shelley, The Pursuit by Richard Holmes, which is like 8,000 pages long. Um, that's where I read it. I think that's um, exactly where I read it. Did you read it in here? Yeah, I think so. Because I had your, I looked at your copy. Yeah, I believe you. It could have been Polidori because he was the one that was hanging out with them when they when Shelley wrote Frankenstein. When Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, Polidori was also there being like, I wrote a vampire story, guys. And they were like, we don't care. <laughs> what was his first name? Uh, I don't this know. Is what, I, feel like the, I feel like the name that I'm trying to think of of this friend was like Robert Mark. You know what I mean? <laughs> like something really boring was like, and my friend David Match. You know, like it was some sort of... I like Robert Mark. Robert Can that Mark. Please be a name. I think it is. It's like something like that. It's like, and then also there was John James. And he too found the body of Percy Shelley and they burned it on the beach. I think they did that. I love how we started this podcast it's talking about. It's Dr. William Polidori. But okay. Maybe he's not the one. No, I don't know if he's the one that you're thinking I don't think of that so. found them on the beach. Should I see if I can find it? I mean, sure. I like how we started this podcast to talk about Frankenstein, a book written by Mary Shelley, and like complete assholes. We were like, let's talk about her husband instead and his mysterious death and how his friends burned his body. I really do think they did that. You're right. The bodies of Shelley, Edward Williams. I'm reading from the book now. The bodies of Shelley, Edward Williams, and Charles Vivian were eventually washed up along the beach between Massa and Viareggio 10 days after the storm. The exposed flesh of Shelley's arms and face had been entirely eaten away, but he was identifiable by the nankeen trousers, the white silk socks beneath the boots, and Hunt's copy of Keats's poems doubled back in the jacket pocket. To comply with the complicated quarantine laws, Trelawney had the body temporarily buried in the sand with quicklime and dug up again, on August 15th, to be placed in a portable iron furnace that had been constructed to his specification at Livorno and burnt on the beach in the presence of Lee Hunt, Lord Byron, some Tuscan militia, and a few <laughs> local fishermen. <laughs> some Tuscan militia. The local fishermen standing there going, oh, wow. You must be thinking of Lee Hunt. Lee Hunt. Look, it was it was like a, a two-syllable name, Lee Hunt. Who is Lee Hunt? I don't remember. I don't in know. The- he was the person whose Percy Shelley's body was burned in the presence of Lee Hunt. If you have not had the opportunity to educate yourself about Percy Shelley, we obviously highly recommend it because he's a character, which I think is going to come into play. I know it's going to come into play a little bit with what I talk about with Frankenstein. Um, yeah, not book. me. But I mean, yeah. yes, you, I feel like we could have done another episode on him. Oh. That's not what today's episode is about. That was a little bonus for everybody that's Someday listening there. Someday can we do a Romantic Poets episode? Because sure. there's so much bizarre shit with the Romantic I'm gonna Poets. Do a, I want to do a podcast about Lee Hunt. Well, you know, they were all electrocuting themselves, too. And yeah, and they were yeah. like getting off and being electrocuted. Yeah, I love them. They're so crazy. I bet they would be intolerable, though, in person. Oh, for sure. It's kind of like the Impressionist painters, where it's like, shut up. Well, you know what would be great would be like, um, you know, the TikTok house? Yes. Oh, they got like with the <laughs> it would romantic be great poets. To do a version of the TikTok house, like a TV show about a house like that, but it's the romantic poets, and they're That'd all in there together, and mm-hmm. they're all like doing that dumbass shit that they did. Just like the TikTok people do, because it's the same thing. Like, if if Percy Shelley were alive today, he would definitely be on TikTok. 
Do you think that we are living in a renaissance of romantic poetry and it is taking the form of TikTok videos? I'm not prepared to answer that question. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk about this book because that's why we started recording today. So Frankenstein, I guess my history with Frankenstein, which no one gives a shit about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I studied it in high school. It was a, a book we, I think we read junior year in AP Lit. That sounds correct. Yeah. And I, I remember really enjoying it. And I remember more about the story of how it was done and how it was written than I did the actual story. And so when we talked about doing this, I agreed to read it again. So this is very fresh in my mind. So I read it and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a beautiful book and very uh, simple and, and just so perfect of a little story. Um, but of course, what my mind was drawn to, and I guess this is my deep dive onto Frankenstein, is um, the monster's appearance. <laughs> so I got really hung up on this. It's pretty great. On the monster's appearance. And I'm going to read how he's described right after um, Victor, you know, turns him on and then freaks out. Turns him on. Turns him on. <laughs> I had to get the monster erect. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Look, I wouldn't put it past him. Okay. So, uh, his limbs were in proportion and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful. Great God. So he tried to make him good looking. His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing. So he had this really long, gross black hair. His teeth of pearly whiteness. So he had perfect teeth. But these luxuriances only formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes that seemed almost of the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set. His shriveled complexion and straight black lips. Which is really gross. And... Another thing that's in here is that he was over eight feet tall. Yeah. So he was huge. And in reading it, you're like, that sounds pretty gross. Because he's got yellow skin. And the part that really bugs me is seeing the arteries underneath the skin. So it's like a like a, like varicose veins, but like a hundred times worse. Yeah. It's like varicose veins with texture. Yeah, I don't like that's that. That's gross. <laughs> But he also has this really long black flowing hair, which feels like it makes it more disgusting. Like it's a detail that I feel was left out of his appearance and subsequent adaptations. Well, the adaptations have never gotten it right. Right. But I think there's a reason for that, which I'd like to discuss. All right. So I'll allow it. My, I'll allow it. My first inclination, my first thought about the book is what I texted you. I forgot where I was. I was reading it. And I said, what if the monster is actually like a gorgeous man, like handsome. <laughs> like I said, what if the monster, what if he's like, this person is hideous, but the monster actually looked like John Hamm. Like he was just a perfect John Hamm. And I think I said, that's a great idea, but, but the, it's not the true. subsequent events of the book do not bear out that right. theory. But it's such a subjective point of view in terms of what the monster looks like. It's not, cl it's defined only there, really. Yeah, that's true. And then you get his strength. You get like a, uh, two sentences and then it, it's after that it's like purposely vague which yeah. i feel like is on purpose yes 
I mean, I'm not a, a lit person. I mean, I don't know. I know I'm not a lit person. I'm not a literature guy. Um, but he he looks he looks scary to Frankenstein, the man Victor. That's important, right? That Victor looks upon him and is like, <gasps> it he's disgusting. Out. Yeah, right. I can't. He's like this abomination. He can't look at. Yeah. I feel like you could make a case for Victor Frankenstein building a monster and it looks like John Hamm. And when it comes to life, he's still like, oh, it's disgusting. It's like Uncanny Valley John Hamm. Yes. Well, yeah, you could make the argument absolutely that like anything dead and then reanimated is going to be repulsive to people, even if technically it looks beautiful. Yeah, if, if it was gorgeous. Right. Right? It would still be scary. Yes. And I wonder if the monster, because the monster knows... And, like, lives by the fact that it's disgusting looking. The mm-hmm. monster's like, I'm an abhorrence. I'm an abomination. Yeah. No one will ever love me. I feel like that is also a subjective point of view of the monster feeling that way about himself. That's been, I guess, confirmed by the way he's interacted with, well, one, the blind man and his kids. And then uh, later, like, the villagers who have described him, like, there was this horrible thing and he came through. But I feel like the monster is acting that way, so of course people are going to be like, what the fuck? So you're That's the scariest thing ever! You're saying sort of like a, a mass delusion of everyone that once no. you decide something, not not oh. in a negative way. <laughs> <laughs> like once you decide something is ugly, and if it acts ugly, then it becomes ugly? Yes, like, and I'm saying the monster doing that. Right. I'm, and Frankenstein. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, and it's also like... His dad is like, you're you're disgusting. And then yeah. he's like, I'm disgusting. No one will love me. And Frankenstein is like, no one will love you. And he's yes. like, yep, you're right. No one loves me. And so he approaches every relationship as like, they're not going to love me. I really want them to love me, but it's not going to work. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I feel like he could look... You could do the story and he looks like John Hamm. That's interesting. I don't know... There's some other things that I read that were much smarter than this idea in my head that make me understand that maybe he does look, he has to maybe look exotically gross. That in order to tell the story in the way that I think maybe is intended. But I did think, what if he was just John Hamm? Like, what if, and John Hamm, if John Hamm's dad was like, <laughs> John Hamm. <laughs> If John Hamm's dad was like, you disgust me. <laughs> Jesus. No, I don't know what kind of relationship John... I'm, not, I'm saying like John, a character if played... If a by, beautiful yeah. person's But I mean, like, parent. you could even do it with John Hamm. You could do it with any beautiful person on the earth. Sure. Okay? You could take anyone that's beautiful. If their parent was like, you're awful, and I can't even look at you, and I made you, right? Mm-hmm. And they like, I can't even be near you. And they like, leave you. You're, no matter how you look, you're going to really feel horrible about yourself and have a massive self-worth issue. Sure. So you're Even talking... if you're like a 10, you know what I mean? You're, yeah, you're, you're... A, you're a 10 on the red carp. You're like, <laughs> man, I'm disgusting. So I hate myself. You're talking about the, the way that the book plays on the central fear of abandonment, parental abandonment. Um, that that's the thing that is, that is like corrupt. Yeah. Well, there are, I I will also just point out here, 
there are multiple characters in the book abandoned by parents. I don't know if you picked up on that, Chris. Uh, no, but... I was really hung up on how he looked like John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the whole book, the monster was John Hamm, like ha- as handsome as possible, but he was wearing the rag clothes and he was like, I will be with you on your wedding night. And he looks exactly like Don Draper when he says it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> is he also an alcoholic? No, uh, the monster. Yeah, I mean that usually goes with self worth issues. So sure. maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe Don Draper is also like the monster because the creator is Dick Whitman. Mm, I like right? it. That I Mad like Men it. is He's actually a Frankenstein himself. story. Okay, great. Right. Great. Dick Whitman is the is the doctor, and Don Draper is the monster. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an amazing theory. I yep. love it. That's pretty good. And at the end of Mad Men, he's accepted himself, potentially, though. The monster is accepted being a monster. Yeah. Finally. Finally. And instead of being a man. That's um, great. Okay, so he looked like John Hamm. It's pretty clear to me in the text when I was reading it. But here, I actually had some other thoughts. So I was like, what? what? Well, he is... You know, you're right that he is um, superhuman in many ways that would speak to this idea of him being, like, a really amazing creation. Like, he has super speed. He has super strength. He can run super fast. Like, at one point, like, one of my favorite moments is when he just, like, runs up the side of a mountain. (laughs) Full speed. (laughs) Which is an amazing mental image. But, like... In this way, and I talk about this when I teach this book with my classes, or when I used to teach this book with my classes, I would talk about how, in some ways, Dr. Frankenstein actually really succeeded. Like, he created an incredible being that has amazing powers. He's a superior being. Yeah, he actually is. He just looks gross. He just so doesn't look that's great. That's really the only thing wrong with him. So this yeah. is this is this is where I started to run into trouble myself because that makes me think of um, Bizarro Superman, right? Yes. Where Bizarro is like, I can do everything Superman can do, but he's yeah. an abomination. He's a perversity, up. right? He's right. a perversion. He's a perversion of Superman, where he's like, I'm Superman, too. And everyone's like, we don't like you because you are gross looking. <laughs> we like the other one. Where's the handsome one that looks like John Hamm? Yeah. We, we need we need our heroes to look like John Hamm. It can't just be this awesome person. Yeah. If they don't look good, if you don't look good, we don't look good. What was that from? Was that Vidal Sassoon? Oh, man. Wow. I don't know what that is. Okay. So, but I I looked up stuff about his appearance. And this is, like I was saying earlier, this is where I started to run into some questions, which is, it's, I know, I'm I'm just saying this for the sake of a podcast. This might be just a question that was in my head or I'd say to you when we were hanging out, but. um, Isn't that what we're doing right now? Well, yeah. We're recording it because we're precocious and terrible. Okay. Um, no, this idea of the book, the book is not just, it's terrible to be ugly. <laughs> That's not no. the book. No. But. <laughs> that would be but the wrong takeaway. It's a big part of it where it's like, don't be ugly. No, that's not if, what Mary Shelley is saying. Don't be ugly because if you're ugly, 
you're gonna turn evil. Well, yeah. I mean, no, not <laughs> no. If you that's a really that's a really terrible contrarian look at the Frankenstein book, like a revisionist history. Like if I if I were if I if I were on Twitter, no, and being loud and proud about whatever, right? If I was gonna be one of the dirtbag left. <laughs> I'd say, you know what needs to be canceled? Frankenstein. Because okay. it's all about appearance. And it says no, that if you're ugly. It's about how society judges appearances. It's about appearance shaming. No, We yes, are appearance shaming. But it's, but it's ultimately saying society is wrong for doing that. That society yes. is the monster. So right? this that's, is, yeah. Look, that's the, the easy student reading of the book is like society is the monster. The monster is not the monster. Um, you know. Here's what's interesting, though. So I started looking at the adaptations of, obviously, the book Frankenstein, of which there have been many. And yes, there's the idea of, you know, that beauty on the inside doesn't matter if you are hideous on the outside, according to society. Right. That is the most, like, surface level thing, right? And you can do, like, queer readings of it, like... He never had a chance, right? It was like... Otherness, yeah. So it's one reason why he couldn't look like John Hamm. Yes. Although, if John Hamm, deep down, was corrupted by something, an, a parent who abandoned him, even when he was winning those, winning that Emmy, he's alone. You know what I mean? He's an outcast. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I was looking at these adaptations of him. Obviously, the mon- I, here's what I don't like. I think I feel like. I feel like the uh, appearance of the monster has been problematic in every adaptation yes. since the book, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's ever no been adapted one... well. Well, that's, and I think part of that is is the monster, it's interesting, right? Because there's so many horror movies where the monster is truly horrific mm-hmm. looking, which is a certain type of horror. Mm-hmm. But the Frankenstein monster always kind of looks okay well there's in a way there's like a no when that's this is where i think people get tripped up in the adaptation is there is some sort of weird twisted warped nobility to the monster that's what i was gonna say i think you're supposed to feel pity for him in ways yeah like you're supposed to almost pity his circumstances and i think the pity comes out in the adaptations at least the visual ones of oh this poor guy let's not make him too ugly yeah. Otherwise, no one will like him. It's almost, again, it's society doing the thing they do in the book, which is, well, we can't make him too hideous because then people will be just absolutely disgusted by him and they won't want to watch him That's or care about point. anything they do. So, like, that they can't uh, turn let's the pull back off. on the stitches, right? Yeah, I like that. What What do you think is the most successful version of the monster? Well, okay, so he's not a hero. No. But he has he been portrayed. Kill, he did kill people. Yeah, one of them was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then he framed not, someone for that he's murder. Not he's a like, great guy. not me. I think it was this woman over here. No, he, but he's, you could make the argument of antihero, which people have made, sure. I think, unsuccessfully, mm-hmm. right? Where he's like, vengeance is mine. At least you understand his, his evil. Yes. Okay. So I think. In the past, in the in the distant past, the the closer you get to the actual publication of the novel, the closer you get to the really hideous monster. There's a silent film version of Frankenstein that was done before the um, 1931 version, and the Frankenstein monster in it is hideous looking. 
Now, I'm actually maybe chalking that up to poor makeup ability in 1910 where they're like ah this and like it has to be ready in 30 minutes so they just like throw hay on some glue you know what i mean and then they put the glue on a person on their shirt and then they just like you know put like hang some bacon on them you know they're like shoot it you know (laughs) shoot it now (laughs) the scariest thing is the the poorly funded special yeah. effect the person who no one remembers the person who played frankenstein in 1910 because they probably forgot they did it or the person who directed <laughs> it didn't even get their names like you you're gonna be the monster put this bacon on but everybody remembers the 1931 boris karloff frankenstein sure, so course. much so that this is interesting the monster's supposed to be hideous and repugnant mm-hmm. right frankenstein can't even look at him right. now that's probably because Frankenstein has a lot more going on with his relationship to the monster. He can't really look at this horrible thing he's done. It's like you can't look right. at your own murder victim. No, yeah. I think right? It's like, oh, lot. I just gutted that person. I don't want to look at that. There's a lot going on there. Right? It's like the serial killer who cries after they kill someone in a horrible way. Well, it's like pointillism. Like he's been working really up <laughs> It's like close. pointillism. He's been working really up close with body parts he stole from a morgue for months on end, stitching them together, looking at the toe looking at the kneecap, right? And then he, like, mm-hmm. backs up and sees the whole thing and goes, oh, no! And he just barfs. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> So it's, like, the worst pointillist painting. Because you know the monster also stinks. Oh, for sure. Like, He's you made could, out of that's the thing, like, corpses. The, the monster is very stealthy in the book. I don't buy that because that motherfucker, you could smell him coming from, yeah. like, a half mile. I, like, yeah. you know... When, it's when, raw. I don't know how you make he's that like, he flesh sends Elizabeth, not He sends Elizabeth up to the to the room. He's like, hold on a second. And she goes up to the room. It's like, does she not smell like... She's like, oh, are they hanging dried meats here in Lake Cuomo? Back then, a lot of people smelled. <laughs> they didn't have showers. That is true. Oh, that's a good point. The, like a so lot that's of like a lot really of people smelled. smelled like shit. And yeah. so he's like... There and there's, like there was literally shit the in the road. Yep. Yes, exactly. So the monster was like, this is my time to shine. Yeah, it's like, great. <laughs> Thank God everybody else smells like shit. Okay, so <laughs> the monster is supposed to be repugnant. The 1931 image has become so beloved mm-hmm. that it is trademarked by Boris Karloff's family enterprise. Mm-hmm. You, It is like a commodity yeah. The face of this thing that you're not supposed to be able to look at. Well, wasn't the person who helped design the makeup very interested in, like, cubist art and stuff? Oh, I don't know. I should have looked that up. I think there... Uh, I remember this. Um, well, the square head, like, that became yes. the thing. It was, like, square head. Yes. I, I do believe there's some kind of connection with cubism or the art world that the, that the image was very artistically designed on purpose. But I could be wrong. Um, That would make sense to me. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I we can't have someone on the podcast from 1931 who saw the movie, right? Like so if our son, who's scared. seven, saw that, and he was like, ah, like couldn't look at the screen. No, because I think that the great thing about Boris Karloff in that part is that is his eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has very expressive eyes, and you do pity him. I mean, I know this is the scene from the the bride of frankenstein and not a scene from frankenstein itself but that scene with the blind man with the violin have you seen the yeah of course yeah and it's i mean it's the it's the adaptation where it's just the blind man yeah and even if i just watch that scene like i can make myself cry if i'm in the right mood yeah it's very upsetting it's also the funniest scene in young frankenstein because it's gene hackman (laughs) 
Um, didn't hold on. This is a little bit of an aside, but also, didn't the director James Whale did it? Yes. Okay. I know he did Bride of Frankenstein. I would imagine I'm pretty he, sure did he did the first the one too. Yeah. Didn't Whale f- find Karloff because Karloff was like sitting in the cafeteria eating something? Like he was just like in the area, and he or somebody saw him eating. I believe. Food in I believe it was actually Marty Noxon's best friend saw Karloff walking his dog. <laughs> In, in West Hollywood and was like, you got to bring this guy in. And Marty Noxon was like, he's perfect. Oh, wait, that's David Boreanaz. Sorry. Angel. Goes with your John Hamm theory, though. Angel. Oh, my God. Boreanaz. Where was our Boreanaz, Boreanaz as, as the monster? Boreanaz as Frankenstein. Angel. Movie. Maybe Angel is a Frankenstein story? I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. Okay. I don't Let's know not go that. there. Um. Okay, so you have a bunch of cool movie facts that I don't have. But you just brought up Bride of Frankenstein. In the book, he starts to build the bride or the mate or the companion. The yes. companion. That makes me think of Star Trek. Companion. The thing in the book had to be fucking disgusting. Oh, yeah. And also he rips it up in front of the monster and throws it all over the room. It's one of the most grotesque scenes in the book. It's like, and he's like, how much did he get done? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, was it just the left side? Yeah. Bottom half, top half? Was it just like the head and arms? Also, the thing that I (laughs) always... And the innards? The thing that always gets me hung up about that is that when he's making the original monster... The OG. He makes him as a man. Do we know if the monster self-identifies as male? I don't know. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, there's a lot of queer theory around, around the monster, right? But in any case... He makes him with a male body. And I buy that he could do this because he himself is a man. I don't buy for one second that our pal V. Franks <laughs> knows enough about female anatomy oh, where he's to like, make this an goes accurate here. <laughs> female monster. I don't know what that thing looked like, but I am going to guarantee that That's he was really funny. not... He's like, not well, the we'll expert. put we'll put the boobs on the arm. <laughs> he has no idea what yeah, he's doing. I don't think he's. I've never seen a lady, seen a naked woman at that point. out of her bodice. Uh, well, regardless, he rips it all up and destroys it in front of the monster, which is gross. Yeah. Um, in nineteen the nineteen thirty five film, which is a brilliant movie for kind of different reasons. Obviously, the Frank Whale of it all and the queer theory of it all. James Whale, right? Oh yeah, sorry, James Whale. Who's Frank Whale? Oh, I'm I thinking of Frank Whaley, the character actor. <laughs> Who I love. Sorry, sorry, I thought I was shooting at that bastard Kennedy. I love that guy. Frank Whaley, if you're out there. Yeah, remember somebody was mean to him online? Oh, yeah, I do remember. And I was like... stuck up for him. Fuck you. Yeah, and I think I got a like from Frank Whaley. I think he's awesome. Okay. Not James Whale, though. James Whale. He's he's a different guy. Right. But I would say the bride in the movie is quite attractive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, for for a Hollywood movie, that's clearly them going... we're having a Lady Frankenstein in this movie? Well, let's make her look nice. Can we put some lipstick on her? Yeah. I mean, she has the scream voice, which is great. She has the weird neck cut. Yeah. But like, and the hair is pretty great. No, she's fun. She's for sure She's fun. fun, and she's like creepy and cool, but like, she's not gross. Yeah. She's not even Karloff gross, which is kind of like Hollywood gross, where it's like, oh, little puppy dog gross. I was sitting in a cafe. This is like a, you know... I don't remember the actress's name. I don't know what she looked like when she wasn't playing the uh, bride. 
but I want to look that up, actually. I should have done that. Okay. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. The person that I think, or the movie, or the project, that I think got closest in terms of the look of the monster is the 1994 Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein, where it's Robert De Niro. Okay. And the pictures of Robert De Niro are pretty upsetting. I have not seen this I, I actually want to see the film just to see what it's like. Because it's trying to be like exactly what it was, mm-hmm. but like De Niro has the bloody stitches, and he's got the stitches around the eye, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And the big thing is though with all of these is that you do see the, you still see their eyes, you still see their pupils. Yes. And you were just talking about Boris Karloff. He's like, my eyes. He's got the puppy dog eyes. He's got the Boris eyes. In the book, it's like he's got no pupils. Yeah. Which immediately makes something inhuman, right? Yeah. Like Gary Mitchell doesn't have pupils in. Uh, you know, where no man has gone before in Star Trek. And he's immediately like, that's not my friend. Let's kill it. Right? Like, this happens. In Buffy, Wait, it happens. are you saying that you think the monster doesn't have pupils? In the book, it just describes it. Listen. Hold on. I don't... No, this is the thing. Found, formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes that seemed almost of the same color as the dun-white sockets in which they were set. So his eyes are barely like his pupils. I, read that I think as the they work. Of the eyes. I yeah no. It's like I think the obviously his eyes work, but it's like oh. someone who has the really kind of scaled over oh, eyes like where it's like not eyes? even there. Yeah. Oh, that's I never thought of that. Yeah, I think the monster. You know, like basically in every horror movie, when like someone turns around and they have no pupils. So you're and when like, you say I'm pupils, a disgusting you're talking mess. about not just pupils, but also the iris. Yes. And it's like you might barely see it, kind of like someone where their eyes have really gone, you know, or the the eye is kind of... Like cataracts. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where the monster clearly has that, so that solves it right there. If John Hamm had no pupils and he was like, can you make me a tuna sandwich? And the person looked over, they'd be like, fuck! (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh my God! I loved you in Mad Men. Where are your pupils? (laughs) But no, that's the most inhuman thing about it, which I think is yeah, kind of cool. That's interesting. But again, it's De Niro. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like a, there, again, sure. there's, there's a lot of gravitas. Yes. Right? But the makeup is pretty close. But again, take the eyes out. But you, visual yes. adaptations won't do that because then how are you supposed to, then it's just a zombie. Yeah. But what's cool is the book, you can actually be internal with it. The funniest one to me is... The movie I, Frankenstein, which came out in 2014. And this shows you how far away we've gotten from where we were. It's Aaron Eckhart, and he's gorgeous in it. Yeah. He's ripped. It's like, what if the monster were ripped? There's a picture of him with his shirt off, a movie still of him with his shirt off, and he looks great. And if you squint, you can see, like, kind of the crosshatch stitching across his chest. That's it. (laughs) And you're like, wow, okay. But again... That's kind of where I was when I first read it. I was like, John Hamm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's like Aaron Eckhart. It's close, you know, comparable. Mm-hmm. But then you you look at that and you go, who fucking cares? Like, get over yeah. yourself. It goes so far the other way where you're like, you took away the cool idea, right? Yeah. So I, that's what made me realize that I was wrong. I like that. The you and know, then I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I really love the um, X-Files episode, um, the postmodern Prometheus you know where they take him to the share concert? Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite X Files episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I I think he is pretty messed up looking in that. I don't think they show him very much. Like there's a lot of silhouette work, a lot of shadow work. I'm pretty sure the monster in that episode is is not pretty to look at. That's what you have to do, and you got to take the eyes out. 
Yeah. Which is freaky. Yeah. So I read these two articles that were very smart, smarter than me. This one, there was one in Slate in 2017 by um, Joey Eshrich. Eshrich. He's a cool ass. I don't know how to say his name. Um, he was talking about how the monster, the way it looks, is reflected um, in the way early 19th century England looked, mm. which was technology that was really invasive mm-hmm. and kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. Railways, coal, right. black smoke. Industrial revolution. Bioengineering experiments like outside that were really messed up. Like it was really invasive and very grotesque to people. And then he pointed out this this brilliant thing that, and maybe this goes to the Aaron Eckhart of it all, the John Hamm of it all, and maybe why I went with that in my head initially, was that technology now is insidious because it is beautiful. Oh, I Technology like that. now is cozying up right next to you because it's sleek. I mean, even look at our little microphones and my phone here, right? It's sure. like... It's like it fits in the palm of your hand and it's like beautiful, it's polished steel and Smooth perfect design. And, and then it gets in there and it monetizes, you know, your blood type. Right. Yeah. So he was talking about how modern Frankenstein stories, some of the better ones, not the Aaron Eckhart one, but he was saying that some of the better ones, the monster in the film, who still feels like they're on the outside, is beautiful. The the beautiful monster can also be kind of covert and like you know incept some feelings into the people it feels separate from Hmm. he was talking about um ex machina being an example of that sure you know sure that that is that is more in vogue now than my god here's this thing we can't even disgustingly here's this thing we can't even look at because it's gross and smells like shit right um although given what's going on right now I think there's something to that, although it's invisible, right? I'm talking about the pandemic, obviously. Hey, did you know there's a pandemic going on? Have you heard this? It's crazy. (laughs) But anyway, there's something more, at least in its uh, physical effects. Okay, so there's this other article by William Eginton in 2018. uh, And his whole thing, which I'm sure you're going to say is obvious, is that the monster looks like anything that doesn't look like you. Yes. Which is cool. It's the other. It's yeah. the other, right? It's outside the norm. So I thought that was really cool. And it actually made me think of Robert Wadlow, who was the tallest man to ever have lived, the giant of Illinois, mm-hmm. who was also eight feet tall. And he died trying to do something fairly normal. Oh, I heard the fly. There's a fly in the room. <sighs> it's okay. He smelled the monster. <laughs> Ugh, fresh dead people. What? Okay. The giant of Illinois was Robert Wadlow, and he was eight feet tall, and he essentially died trying to do something normal, which was walk around. He had an ankle brace that irritated his ankle, and he died two weeks later because he had an autoimmune disease as well, which is very scary. That also makes me think of my freshman professor uh, in screenwriting at USC, he made one film, he wrote and directed one film that was called The Fear. 
And the fear has a very funny poster because the bad guy in the fear is like a wooden creature made of wood. Okay. okay. It's a creature made of wood and he has human eyes. And the fear, it, it can like, the fear can transform into different things. And the log line for the fear is, he's whatever scares you the most. <laughs> Which makes me laugh and always used to make us laugh because it feels very lazy in terms of writing where I was like, what are you scared of? Yeah, he's that. <laughs> right? Like, well, you don't want to cross the street? That's that's the fear. You don't like uh you don't like uh short people? He's really short. You're not gonna like him. He's really scary. But it, it is interesting, it actually for the first time kind of clicked for me, oh, that's really scary. Yeah. Because if you did it right, I don't know I've never seen the fear. I know other students who have seen the fear and uh, alums. So my question for you is, if you were going to make your own personal Frankenstein. Monster? If you were going to make your own personal Frankenstein monster, what would it look like? What mm. are the physical characteristics that repulse you? <laughs> Isn't that a weird question? It is a weird question. I know you have to think about it, but... I don't have an answer for mine because it is a hard question, but well, think about it. Like what's, what's some, some sort of physical characteristic where you're like, <gasps> it's, that's a tricky road to go down because I also feel like now you're engaging like maybe subconscious racial bias, right? Yeah. Like, no, that's the thing. But I mean, yeah. it's some, maybe some, maybe it's a question that you might be scared to actually answer for yourself. Sure. Exactly. No. And I think, I think that's what the book, I think that's one reason why the book is very vague on the appearance of the monsters because it is. It, it is just a stand-in for the other, right? So you can right. read it racially, you can read it um, sexually, you can read it however you want to read it in terms of, like, the concept of something that's not me, right? Like that yes. Texas woman on that video that that went around a little while ago who was like, oh, I don't want low-income housing. Oh, my God. Yeah, that woman, she's like... They're just not This like makes me. me sound like a bigot, but I'm they not. They just... Yeah. <laughs> she was like... It's, you know, I just, I hate to say it because it sounds bad, but... And this sounds so bad when I say it like this, but I mean, people, I just don't like poor people. I just don't like people who are of a different class than me, right? I don't think they belong here. Well, I think you can read class issues into into the book too, right? Yeah. Um, well, he's unhoused. Yeah. That's for exactly. sure. He's living in a hovel. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. He doesn't have good clothes. No. Um. He's, he's not in vogue with the fashion. Yeah. He's... The monster... Is a really great character for that exact reason because I don't know. Like, think about I. I think about the monster is really great because it depends on the reader and where their mind goes. Mm -hmm. For some reason, my mind went right to John Ham. So, what am I afraid of? Obviously, for some reason, I'm afraid, afraid of John, John Ham. <laughs> John <laughs> Ham is my Let's Frankenstein's monster. I know it's well, weird, but I was like, I'm terrified by, by John Ham. Maybe he's a big guy. I never met him. But no, that's where my, but other people might be like, ooh, the monster, he must, he's really scary. He must be a, a 34-year-old Czechoslovakian, you know? It's well, like, well, I that's... was also just thinking that, like, if we're talking about otherness and appearance and monsters, you have to think about Dracula, who is, you know, in the book, a clear analogy of an Eastern European immigrant who's coming to London to um, take down London society from the inside. It's it's a fear of immigrants story, right? It's a xenophobic story. I didn't know that, but oh, it is yeah. fascinating. It's a xenophobic story about Eastern Europeans immigrating to London, but, but Dracula himself is often portrayed as quite you know, attractive. So that would be more of a fear of like, oh, the, like, like you were saying, like this, 
like the beautiful technology or the thing that's going to creep into your society without you immediately putting a stop to it that actually could be threatening. Um, so yeah. the, the, it's a diff- those are both stories about the other, but told in different ways. Mm-hmm. So Dracula is the John Hamm. Yeah. So you can make a Dracula with John Hamm. Oh, absolutely. John Hamm would be a great Dracula. Yes. Yeah. Because the- Dracula is attractive to women and men. Yeah. 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 He's a... <laughs> Dracula fucking even the moves. No, anyone. And the monster's very chaste. He's like, can I have a girlfriend? And Frankenstein's like, no! And he just like throws all the body parts all over. The viscera, the belly button stuck to the window. Can I have my turn? Yes, I do want to say that reading it, reading it, I really wanted to, I I still think you could do an incredible adaptation of it. If you did a miniseries that was just straight at it, that would be so cool. I agree. I'd love to see another Frankenstein and ju- juxtapose. <laughs> that seems so sarcastic when you say it because I feel like it's the last thing people want to see. But <laughs> if you serious. if you juxtapose the mon- the gross monster against the the Swiss Alps, you know, yes, yeah, and you yes. get like Eddie Eddie Redmayne real. to be all shaky and victory yes. Give and me irritating. A sailor, Robert a confident Wilson, confident sailor. Give me a confident sailor. <laughs> All right, I take too long. Okay. It's your turn. It's my turn. Okay, so one reason why I was excited to do this book is I don't think it's necessarily the first thing you think of when you think about obsessions or things that people are obsessed with, but I do feel like culturally it's become a a cultural obsession for, you know, 200 years now um, that... It's still in print. It's still in print. It's still taught in schools. Its fingerprints are, you know, still detectable in most modern horror in some way or another. Um, So I think that it's, there's a reason. I think what I was trying to turn over in my head is like, why is this book still so present in our contemporary consciousness when so many other horror stories have been told? Um, Why is it a classic? Why do I like it so much? Because I really do. Every time I teach it, I enjoy it more and more, which I feel like is the hallmark of a really good book. Because there's definitely books that I've taught that when I started teaching them, I liked them. And then by the end of like a couple years of teaching them, I'm like, I'm done with this book. Mm-hmm. I don't need to teach it again. Thank you very much. Um, Frankenstein. And maybe there's this is, you know, there's something to be said for small perfect books here too, because I feel like my three favorite books to teach are Frankenstein, Gatsby, and The Haunting of Hill House. All yeah. very slim novels, lots of reading between the lines, um, and pretty perfect. Like, you can't take anything out of this book. Is it, It's kind of like uh, Catcher in the Rye, same thing, where it's a, yeah. little, a, little, a little perfect book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And There's if you pull one chapter that. out, you're like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Although, I think some of my students would say that the, all of the nature stuff in this book starts to weigh them down a little bit. I personally love it. And that goes into why I was going to say one reason why I think this book is so enduring is that it's actually very funny. And it's an aspect of the book that I don't think is talked about enough. Like, you hear all kinds of things about Frankenstein the book, right? Like, uh, Frankenstein the book. Well, most people will say, oh, you got to read the book because it's very different from what you've seen in the movie, right? And what they mean by that is like, the monster's not a lumbering idiot. He's actually smart. And people are like, whoa, he can talk? That's crazy. Teaches right? himself French. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that people know about the book 
um, is like, oh, it's not actually a horror novel. It's actually very, you know, philosophical, which is totally true, right? Although I think you can be both things. You can be a horror novel and be philosophical. But there is a lot more philosophy and philosophical thought in the book than people would probably think if you haven't read it. There's also the idea of like, well, is it horror? Is it sci-fi, right? And and is Mary Shelley the first sci-fi writer? Is she, is she the first horror writer? How do we define genre? That's often talked about. Not talked about enough, again, is how funny this book is. Laugh a minute. I couldn't. Um, <laughs> I I was, I Listen. tears in my eyes every time I picked it up. It's so funny Breathless. To me. It's so funny I do me. think there's a lot of humor in the, uh, I do think there's humor in, Frankenstein. That's what I was going to say. The character of Frankenstein, I think, is unmatched for his chaotic, insane... Uh, he is insane through the whole book. He's he's like a chaos monster. He's, he's... I'm laughing thinking about it because... I do. I love him, and I call like I call him V Franks in my head because he's like my little pal. He's so silly. I feel like maybe Gene Wilder was the best Victor Frankenstein because he was just out of his mind. Yes. Yeah. That's how he is in the book. He's yeah. so crazy. People talk about the monster, the monster, the monster, but Frankenstein himself. And I don't think I'm not going to go down the road of like Frankenstein is the real monster because I think that's a boring <laughs> reading of the book. Um, but I do think Frankenstein is fucking crazy in a way that makes me laugh a lot he's dialed up to 112 through the entire book he's just yeah. like i'm gonna make a monster here we go and then he makes a monster and he's like no my god what have i done and he runs away yeah well and and he's clearly also an outsized caricature of percy shelley himself and there's a lot of you know like, if you go into Percy's biography, he matches up along the lines of Victor, Victor Frankenstein very clearly in terms of his education. The education that's described in the book is the same as Percy Shelley. A lot of the places they go in Frankenstein are the same places Mary went with Percy Shelley. Like, they visited that area of the Alps all the time. Like, Did they go to Italy like that? Uh, I think they did, and that exactly. and that sec the the second workshop, the one in Scotland where he makes the female monster, right. they went there. Oh, wow. Um, she grew up there. Um, so there's a lot of... Is she Scottish? Yes. Oh, weird. Did I she have like a thick is. Scottish brogue? I don't, Mary Shelley? I don't know. Tonight, well, I'm her, going to tell you a story. Mom was Mary Wollstonecraft. And the doctor who built it. <laughs> and her dad was William Godwin. Um, oh, yeah, old William. I don't know who that is. Yeah, you do. It's like Lee Hunt. <laughs> but now she... There's a lot of biographical elements strewn throughout, and she even quotes Percy Shelley's poetry a couple times in the book. Um, oh yeah, the, I, you, I read the, the, just for context. I read Elizabeth's copy of this book, which has all of her markups in the yeah. book. So it's like things circled, and then really, come on, or like other things highlighted or underlined that you liked. And one of them was the reason I know Percy Shelley's poetry was in there because you told me in the margins. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so I'm just going to point to a couple of my favorite scenes that I think are really masterfully funny. Um, and the first is, right after he makes the monster, he immediately just runs away, which I find really funny. Yeah, he like sprints. He's like, oh my god. <laughs> I, I like to act it out for my classes, because it's so, it's so fast. He just... The monster literally just opens his eyes and Frankenstein is out of there. He's like, God, God damn it. 
and just runs away, runs away, has a lot of trouble sleeping, right? Can't sleep. He sleeps in the courtyard. He runs, he, he sleeps outside in the courtyard. He wakes up all what wet. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Dew, what have I done? Right? He's real freaked out. He's walking around with heart palpitations. By the way, all of this is in his own yeah, narration. He's like, he's like, I did this and I was upset and I was abhorred myself, my soul. And he's a very unreliable narrator, obviously, um, but very funny, funnily so. He encounters his friend. Henry Clerval. Clerval. Poor Clerval. Clerval. And we've all had a friend like Clerval. We've all had a friend like Clerval who's like, hey, isn't it a beautiful day outside? Ha, ha, ha. Well, Clerval to me is clearly. What's wrong, old chap? (laughs) He's the Nick Carraway of Frankenstein where he's he's obsessed with Frankenstein. He is? It seems like he's kind of the strapping like Flash Thompson to Victor Frankenstein's Peter Parker. But he's obsessed with how like like, emo Frankenstein is, right? Where Frankenstein's like, Clerval, I've had such a bad year. And Clerval's like, I'll take care of you. Let's go on a vacation. Why don't we go on a vacation together? Yeah, let's I'll carry I'll carry your suitcases. He he clearly is in love with Frankenstein. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think it's clear. Um and he's like very excited to see him. My dear Frankenstein, how glad I am to see you, right? Uh, uh, uh. And Frankenstein hasn't seen him at this point in like a couple years. And so true to his solipsistic insanity, he kind of forgets that he made a monster last night. Yeah, no, he leaves for like, like two years. No, no, no. Oh, no, I'm, okay, sorry. I'm not yeah, there he, yet. he compartmentalizes. At, th- at this moment, this is the next day. He's just woken up from sleeping outside because he made... A monster sees Henry, kind of just forgets and is like, "What's up, man? How you doing? You know, like, how's well, Elizabeth? Like, do you, you think know, he's suppressing trauma? Do you think he's like everything's fine? Well, hey, Clerval, he... <laughs> why didn't you come inside? <laughs> well, Clerval, I haven't seen you. Clerval then is like, "You don't look good. Like you look like you haven't slept in a while. Your Jesus, face is Vic, you look pale. like shit." And at that point, Frankenstein gets a little trembly again. He's like, you're, you're right. You know, but I've been I've been engaged in an occupation, but now I'm finally free of it. And he's like all trembly. And then he starts walking really fast. And Clerval just, I guess, follows him, right? Where are you going, old bud? And then he's like, oh, we should, we should go. Let's go have some tea. But at that point, they're at his apartment. And he's like at the door remembering like, oh, there's a, there's a monster in my... <laughs> Room. So do the do the key shake like Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah, like what's <laughs> gonna happen? Can I? What should I do? And he's like, I don't, I, I don't want to see this monster. I also really don't want Henry to see it because, like, I need to protect Henry. So he tells Henry to wait downstairs. He's like, just wait here for a minute. He runs up to the room. I forgot something. He throws the door open. What? Nothing's there. And I'm just going to read verbatim from the book because it makes me laugh so much. Um, I could hardly believe that so great a good fortune could have befallen me. But when I became assured that my enemy had indeed fled, my enemy, how could he call my enemy? My enemy. I clapped my hands for joy and ran down to Clerval. (laughs) It's so crazy. Yeah, he's like, oh, hold on one second. Uh, Hold on. Can you just stay down here for a second? You in here? And then he's he's just oh thank God! And he's like yeah. It 
crazy. Let's have some tea. Well, yeah, then let me keep reading. We ascended into my room, and the servant presently brought breakfast, but I was unable to contain myself. It was not only joy that possessed me. I felt my flesh tingle with excess of sensitiveness, and my pulse beat rapidly. I was unable to remain for a single instant in the same place. I jumped over the chairs, clapped my hands, and laughed aloud. Clerval at first attributed my unusual spirits to joy on his arrival, which is also like... <laughs> I'm just so glad to see you. <laughs> but when he observed me more attentively, he saw a wildness in my eyes for which he could not account, and my loud, unrestrained, heartless laughter frightened and astonished him. My dear Victor, cried he, what for God's sake is the matter? Do not laugh in that manner. How ill you are. What is the cause of all this? I like saying to someone, do not laugh in like, that are manner. Are you okay? <laughs> but like, I'm fine. Imagining how he must be laughing. Yeah. Uh, for somebody uh, uh, to uh, say, uh, like, uh, please stop uh, laughing uh, like that. <laughs> if someone filmed... Tea, please. <laughs> Where's the servant? I'm so glad to see you, Henry. <laughs> if someone filmed just that scene, it would be so funny. Which is I know, this is what I'm talking about. Frankenstein yeah, like a, gets it perfect. Well, Gene Wilder is perfect for that part, right? Yeah. Just like, but that's why you want to do, and if you did a straight adaptation, you'd have to do that whole scene where he's absolutely batshit. And yeah. you're like, whoa, dude. He's crazy. And uh, so that's one scene that I find very funny. The, another <laughs> Here's another scene, funny scene. Another scene that I find very funny is all of his hiking scenes really amuse me. He does. There's a lot more hiking in this book than one would expect. Um, <laughs> that should be the sound clip in the preview for this episode <laughs> next week. There's a lot more hiking in this book. He does a lot of hiking. And my theory on this is that um, I wrote a poem about this. So apologies for being invested it's in this a published particular. Poem. No, it's not really published. Oh, it's just on your hard drive? Yeah. Is it scr scribbled in your diary? And the eyes are dotted with hearts. You got it, man. <laughs> those are the only two. Pen. Those are the only two types of poems: uh, published poems and no. those. My theory on this is that Mary Shelley, you could counter like an early environmentalist or conservationist in terms of how she sees um, Frankenstein himself treating the environment poorly, and she villainizes that aspect of him as well as villainizes his like abandonment of his monster. Oh, she's like, look at this upper crust piece of shit yes like he yeah. treats nature the same way he treats the oh, monster right. which is like this is here for me to enjoy and if i don't enjoy it fuck you you know and like it's he, like don draper's it's like don draper when they have the picnic and then they just they just let the blanket yes. go with all the trash into the yes. grass yes that's exactly how frankenstein is and he also reads nature incorrectly right and and i'm very interested in how people read nature and literature because i'm a dork but the, you know there's this whole thing called the the Pathetic fallacy, which is where when you see it raining, you're like, it's raining because I'm sad. Because oh, I'm sad. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or like there's a storm and you're like, I also am angry. <laughs> and Frankenstein is like so like he goes outside and there's a storm and he's like, yes, this is because William died. William, this is your funeral. And he's, you know, yelling it. Um on the summit of a mountain that he also has not taken proper, you know, he doesn't bring enough water. He doesn't leave no trace when he hikes. He's, he's just, not. He's just throwing his cliff bar wrapper down. Yeah. This is fine. Really. Beautiful day out here. Hiker. And um, 
William! There's one point where he sees, the point where he sees the monster for the first time after he's left town for two years. This is where the monster finds him in the mountains and is yes. like, hey, I need to tell you everything that happened to me. And Frankenstein kind of freaks out. And he's like, and if you don't, then if you don't listen to me, and then if you don't do this thing I asked you, I'm going to kill you right here. Yes. Yeah. Well, the part that I love the most, and I've always wanted to trace this phrase, and I never have, but it's on page 68 of of the book. Uh, this um, adaptation of the book. <laughs> true. Of the Dover Thrift Edition. <laughs> um, he, sees, he sees the monster, as the book says, bounding over the crevices in the ice. Um, it would his... look like a bear. That's what I always imagined. It was like, a, if it looked like a really fast bear in the distance. Yeah. And his first instinct is, he says, I trembled with rage and horror, resolving to wait his approach and then close with him in mortal combat. Yeah, he's like, I'm ready. Which is... I remember that. Yeah, he's like holding his little walking <laughs> stick like, come on. It's come on. so great. And this thing's like a spider monkey, yeah. like coming. Like, this thing... He's coming down the hill. Beautiful the Swiss phrase... Alps. Just like. <laughs> using the phrase Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. It's so great. Mortal Kombat. I want to know what the first use of the phrase Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat? is. Mortal Kombat. And if That's... it is indeed in this book. No, I think it's probably. The I'm, Bible? I'm sure. I... <laughs> Immediately going it's... to the Bible. It's Frankenstein or the Bible. Those are the two options. No, here. I just feel like Mary Frankenstein might be. I feel like that's kind of dualist language. You know what I mean? Like pistols at dawn. Sure. We will engage in Mortal Kombat. Well, Percy Shelley also, if we're talking about Percy, no stranger to dueling. Often right. being challenged to duels and closing with people in Mortal Kombat. So yeah, okay. All right. But, but Frankenstein, just, Frankenstein doesn't have anything on him. He's like, I'm, I'm going to get him. But it, it, clearly, nothing. he's just going to be ripped apart. Yep. I love, the, I love the destruction of the female monster because it is so funny to me too that he spent because he spent like at this point like a year uh wandering around collecting parts for a female monster lugging them around with him in his like travel backpack yeah he's got like the arm the the hand sticking out yeah like hey Vic, what's that weird thing major dedication to this project and then just destroying it in spite because he sees the monster looking at him he's like He's ripping apart a, a body of body parts. And then, of course, my favorite my favorite Frankenstein moment, perhaps, of all, is when he abandons his wife. <laughs> where That's the, my favorite, too. The monster continually says, I will be with you on your yeah. wedding night. And Frankenstein over and over is like, he's going to try to kill me on my wedding night. Yeah, do you think readers back then, like, if you read this in 1830, whatever, right? Do you think you're going, he's going to kill Elizabeth, dude? Of course you are. And you're just wait. you're going, you moron? Yes. It's interesting, right? Because you're way ahead of the character, which usually, right, you don't want to be that far ahead, but you're like, come on, man. Yeah. He's going to kill her. He do, he he's going to he kill just, her. He's, and he tells Elizabeth, like, hey, honey, you should probably go upstairs because I got something to do I need here. to look out. I need to look out into the night. And then, you know, she's, ah! she's gone. Um... And, you know, then there's that great part at the end where he he seems like he's figured out that he was wrong. And you have this whole book where he's like, he's confessing this, right, to Robert Walton, the sailor. And I yeah. can't get into what Robert Walton right now, although I love him. 
And he's like, I, you know, I did the wrong thing and I was too obsessed over this stuff and I should have stopped and I didn't know and it was well, bad. Well, I, I feel like he's also just like this trembling, like, and then I did it, but it is my fate to live here forever yeah. in hell. But then at one point, Walton's Walton, who also, you know, in the book is there to, to be another mirror of the obsessed man trying to achieve something that man should not achieve, trying to go beyond God and go beyond nature and reach this, you know, Arctic pole before any other man has done so. Um, Walton's sailors are like, hey, man, we think this is a bad idea. Yeah, this is my favorite. This is one of my favorite parts in the book. Yeah, where they're like, we should probably turn around. We talked about this uh, a few days ago. We did. Yeah, where he's like, Frankenstein is is in the boiler room or something yeah. by the stove yeah. and he's just like laying on the like, floor yeah and barely robert barely is like on. he might be dead like yeah. he's just, i imagine where he's just kind of he's kind of just laid down against the wall like his shoulder his shoulders are the only thing touching the wall in his head and he just looks like a doll you know where he's like kind of dead you know he's just like laying there he's either catatonic or yeah. And then the sailors come in. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we, we should probably turn around. And Frankenstein like rouses himself to give this insane <laughs> He immediately speech. is awake and he's like, you don't want to do that. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean? What do you demand of your captain? Are you then so easily turned from your design? Do you not call this a glorious expedition? And he goes on and on about how they're going to be hailed as the benefactors of their species and their names will be adored. Just the same kind of shit he yeah, was like thinking he's about himself. Yeah, like he's full of life in that moment. He goes from like basically a near dead body to like, how dare you challenge the greatness and glory. And I feel like this is one of the moments that you could find somebody quoting out of context on like a Tumblr from 2009 and not <laughs> understanding it. Um, you know, like people always say like, to thine own self be true. And you're like, yeah, but that's not like if you read <laughs> Hamlet, they were kind of making fun of that guy. Um, it's very similar because in the speech he says, oh, be men or be more than men. Be steady to your purposes and firm as a rock. This ice is not made of such stuff as your hearts may be. And I feel like that's something yeah. that you could see in like an inspirational. It seems like a very, uh, uh, like I could see some more masculine colleagues writing that down as an inscription in a, in a, in a you know, congratulations card or something. Right, know? right. Be men. Or be more than men. Be more than men. This ice is not made of such stuff as your hearts may be. Like uh, having that engraved on a pocket watch and then being yeah. like, no, dude, that was a crazy person who was near death, <laughs> who was in that moment proving that he had learned jack shit yes. about himself and the world. Anyway, I love Frankenstein for how funny he is as a parody of male um, superiority, like toxic male, whatever you want to call it. Toxic masculinity. Toxic. But he's like a different kind of it because he's like, I imagine him rail thin. Oh, yeah. With the crazy curly hair where he's like, and he's got like, I feel like he can't even really fully grow a mustache. You sure. know what I mean? Like that feels like Victor Frankenstein to me where he's like, he's like, look what I've done. You know, yeah. like he's, he's very like squirrely. My point is, I feel like, I guess my point is, I feel like he's a parody even to Mary Shelley. Like she's consciously parodying these superior attitudes that men at the time had, especially men who believed themselves to be academic, intelligent, um, level-headed. You know, yes, rational. Yeah, that's this. This that does remind me of of the whole thing that's going on right now. The conversation of, uh, oh, women are too emotional to be president. 
You know? Right. And it's like, you think of Victor Frankenstein, it's like, <laughs> that's the last person I'd want to be in charge of anything having yeah. to do with me. Yes, exactly. Um, like this parody of the scientific, um, you know, atheist almost. Um, and I, I find him very funny, purposefully so in places. I also think I just enjoy him because he's so emo. He's like the original emo kid. But he's like, but he's also, he's like really, um, manically emo yes manically like, emo. hand ringy you know just like oh right my soul and then i i should yes. be punished i should be punished for life and even after life yes so if you have not read this book because you thought maybe it would scare you or that it would be too ponderous and philosophical i would say give it a go you might find it really funny um and you might really laugh that, speaking of something that's funny, that makes me think of when the a part that I thought was funny was the monster living outside the family's house for a year. Yeah, and then he's like, "I must, I must present myself to them. I must meet them and tell them I love them, and they will accept me." And you think that he's smart enough where he's going to think of a good plan, but he <laughs> totally doesn't. He just waits till the kids are gone. And he goes in and talks to the blind man, and he's like, no one loves me. You wouldn't love me either if you could see me. I love you, though. I love your family. You're good people. I want to be with your family. And the blind man is like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> but there's no plan. And he's like sitting no, there talking no about plan. himself so much. He's like, it's just been such a hard life, and I'm well, glad. Well, he's also like, self-centered. Yeah. Right? and then They're the, all self-centered He's idiots. not even paying attention. And then the kids come home, and they're like, ah! You know, and they yeah. start beating him with the fire poker and the piece yeah. of wood. Yeah. And he's like, no, everyone hates me. See, I proved it. And yeah. now I will kill people. Well, the, the book is about three idiot solipsistic men. Who leave sequence. a lot of carnage in their wake. Yes. And uh, it remains to be seen whether Walton ever ever made it or not. I don't know. No, he, he turns back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, right. Yeah, he eventually turns back. You're right. Lied. What I think I is lied. interesting is because the difference between Frankenstein and Walton is that Walton is able to hold the monster's gaze. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, because Frankenstein can't look at the monster immediately. He's like, oh, gross. Look what I've done. And he runs away. And Walton wants to do that when the monster comes in through the window and Frankenstein is dead. Yes. And the monster's lamenting. And then he stands up and Walton's like, I want to look away. But then I, I stared at it and I was like, oh, you devil. Yes. You would be evil if you were alive still. You would still be tormenting him. And now only now can you uh, feel, uh, uh, only now can you be apologizing and, and wanting to repent, which is clearly what he should have said to Frankenstein. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, now you're also reminding me of one of my favorite Walton moments, which is in his second letter to his sister. So this guy, Walton, he's writing letters to his sister because he's undertaking this, you know, voyage, this scientific discovery voyage that he's the only one good enough to lead. And in his second letter to his sister, he's talking about how dangerous it is and how it's going to be so hard that he's like obsessed enough to do it. And at the end of the letter, he says, I love you very tenderly. Remember me with affection, should you never hear from me again. And it's so I'm gonna I'm gonna text you things like that where I'm like, hey, I'll be home from Vaughn's in twenty minutes. Love me tenderly. Should I never should you never hear from me? Should you never hear from me again? <laughs> so, I'm just up the street. It's such a great touch. It's such a great way to I'm gonna start signing emails that way. Remember should me you never tenderly. See me again? Should you never hear from me again? Elizabeth. <laughs> um it's such a great guilt trip line. 
Uh, yeah, I really like this book a lot. And I feel like we do need, now that we've talked about it, I feel like we do need an adaptation of it that takes into account the monster's appearance better and also harnesses that humor while managing to maintain some of the more serious themes as well. So not a complete parody like Young Frankenstein. No, I think you got to do like William had his neck broken. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you got to be like, oh, that's a, he killed that kid. It really happened. And then is it Josephine? Uh, Justine. Justine, sorry, who's hanged Mm -hmm. for the crime. Yes. That's framed. really upsetting. The servant who has no, who is an orphan, right? right? Speaking like, of, she's just been been there the whole yeah. time, and he's like, oh, "Did you see anybody come through the uh, down the stairs or anything?" Okay, great. Why don't you bring us some breakfast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would love to. I would love to do that. And it, it, yeah, you can't. It's not a farce. It has to be like Frankenstein. Just has to be legit crazy. You have to yeah. have an actor who just goes nuts. Where and where you where the audience can laugh at it, but then you're also scared. Well, the person should be so unhinged that at times you are afraid of that person too. Right. Where you're like, what's that guy gonna do? Yeah. Where you're like, I this is he okay? guy's. Also, yeah. Elizabeth is funny in that book because it's like, are we gonna get married? You know. And then, I know. It's like everything's kind of sad, right? Because Justine died and William, but maybe we can still get married. And then he comes home. And he's like, okay, great. We'll go to Lake Cuomo. It's pretty. Yep. Dead. <laughs> it is weird. Lake Cuomo is still a tourist destination. Yeah. Now I want to go there. We because, should go. We should uh, go on a Frankenstein It's like, this tour. is where I want to tell the Italian guy like in the boat, like, this is where Frankenstein's wife was killed by the monster. And he's staring at him through the window with the finger. He's like, you. Well, that comes from like, there's an, like, Percy Shelley claims there was an assassination attempt against him. And it's, like, very unclear what the actual events of the night were. It's clear that he did have a loaded pistol. At some point, shots were fired. There were multiple people in the house. But he says that, like, a face was at the window. And, like... That's great. Somebody it's shot at him. clearly, like, maybe, like, inflating that a lot. That's like Brian Williams was in the helicopter when he was not in the helicopter. Yeah. This there's, is like, there's a lot oh, someone of- tried to kill me the other night. It was crazy. There's a lot of versions. Of I the saw, events. I saw some. I saw a face outside the window. It had malice in it, and I shot at it four times, and <laughs> I broke the chimney of our neighbor. But it was because there was an assassination attempt on my life. Well, that's where the the monster looking in at Frankenstein right. comes from. The imagery the comes from Percy Shelley's. Like this man saw me the in a window. Staring, and at he was me. trying to kill me. And, because yeah. I'm so important. Yes. Well, that is. Our discussion about Frankenstein, a wonderful book, a wonderful piece of literature that to us is, it's obvious at this point why people continue to talk about it because you can talk endlessly about it, or at least we can. Maybe you're sick of it now. Maybe you don't want to read it. You should read if it. you don't want to read it, I suggest I, Frankenstein, starring Aaron Eckhart, made in 2014. <laughs> uh, it's the by far the most faithful adaptation of the book. Um, no, so next week... We're going to discuss, I can see your face, you're already upset about it. We're going to discuss the JFK assassination. Yeah. Oh my God. We're not going to do the whole thing because you can't. It's an enigma wrapped inside a riddle, wrapped inside a mystery. As Joe Pesci once told us, we're going to talk about specific things in the assassination that we are obsessed with. Specific details. So we're going to spend some time on on a couple details and just go as deep as possible. I'm so excited. that's what we're going to do next time. I'm excited too. I love you. Love you too.
You've been listening to Spores, Molds, and Fungus, a podcast hosted by me, Chris Cantwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Cantwell. Follow us respectively on Twitter. I'm at IfYouCantwell, and Elizabeth is at ECCantwell. We have Instagram. Do we? If you want to reach out to us with thoughts about Frankenstein that you can't get out of your head, or anything else that you just can't shake out of there, email us at sporespodcast at gmail.com. See you next week, and until then, happy ruminations.